Good morning, Capshaw. I'm Jessica, and this is your weekly In The Know. If you are a guest with us in person or online today, we want to thank you for joining with us this morning. If you are seeking prayer, information about the church, or joining us for the first time, please scan the QR code in the seat back in front of you. For those of you joining us online, you can visit capshaw.org slash connect card. Now, let's find out what's going on around campus. VBS is on for this summer. Come journey with us to Mystery Island on June 13th through 17th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. VBS is for children entering kindergarten through completed sixth grade. This year, more than ever, we will need many volunteers. So be praying about how you can help this summer. Registration is open now. Capshaw members, please do not forget to join us for our Capshaw members meeting following the 1045 AM service on May the 16th. We will meet right here in the worship center immediately following the service. Hey Capshaw ladies, after not being able to host an event this past year, we are so excited to announce it's once again time for our annual C3 event. Please join us for coffee, cake, and conversation the evening of May the 17th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Featuring guest speaker Courtney Hanks as she shares her amazing testimony of God's pursuing love and His enduring faithfulness. You can register online at capshaw.org women or by stopping by one of our registration tables located in the FLC or church lobby. This is a free event, but space is limited. All ladies college age and up are welcome to attend. We hope to see you there. Before we leave, here is a quick reminder. You can get general information, find out about upcoming events, as well as give just by scanning the QR code in the seat back in front of you or by visiting capshaw.org. If you have any questions, you can always email us at info at capshaw.org. I hope you all have a great week. Now let's get ready to worship. Good morning. Good morning, Capshaw family. Uh, as we prepare our hearts for worship, would you mind please standing as we read God's word? This comes out of Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me, uh, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever.
Well, good morning, church. Hope you're all doing great this morning. My name is Jacob Dearman. I'm actually the former student ministry intern here at Capshaw. Currently, I serve as the youth pastor at a church up in Pennsylvania. And this morning, I just wanted to express my love and gratitude for you all and for this church for being a gospel-centered church who equips and sends its members to the glory of God. Uh, this morning, you know, I, like I said, I just want to thank you all for that, for those many years where I spent here as an intern. Uh, we've loved and missed you all uh, during this short while, uh, but we also, you know, just wanted to ask that you continue to pray for myself as well as the others that Capshaw has sent. If you're new here uh, or even if you've been here a a while and want to learn more about the church or how to get plugged in, there's a QR code on the seat back in front of you or is there one on the screen? Nope, but you can go to capshaw.org uh, and, and find out more information about the church there uh, and, get, and get plugged in. This morning we also have the special treat of, as I mentioned earlier, seeing that we're a gospel-centered church here at Capshaw. We have the special treat of seeing those profess their faith to the Lord, but also continue that through baptism. And so we, we get that special treat this morning up here. So John. Well, good morning, church family. So good to see you. Go ahead and have a seat if you would, yeah. Exciting day for us. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it means to treasure Christ, and we said that one of the things it means is to identify with him. And of course, the uh, most beautiful picture of that is actually through baptism. What those who are, are, who are getting baptized are doing is, is they're identifying with Christ. They're saying, I belong to him and he belongs to me. I have, been, uh, I have died with Christ and I've been raised to walk in newness of life. We have a couple of folks who will be baptized this morning and uh, just been really encouraged, deeply encouraged by both of their testimonies. So I'd like to have Myla Benvenuti. This is Myla Benvenuti. Um, Myla put her faith in Christ not too long ago as she was having a conversation with her mom. And then she saw on the, the TV monitors out in the foyer uh, something about baptism. And she said to her mom and dad, I want to be baptized. And so I met with uh, her mom and dad and Myla a couple of weeks ago. I said, Myla, why do you want to be baptized? She said, I want to tell, I want everybody to know that I'm a Christian. And I said, what would you say if someone said to you, what does it mean to be a Christian? She said, it means that I have uh, put my faith, I've trusted in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for my sins, and he was raised again uh, for me. And I said, that is a beautiful and accurate testimony, and I praise God for it. So, Myla, so excited for you. Why don't you turn this way? Myla, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You believe he lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sin? Are you trusting in him alone for your forgiveness, and you're committing your life to him? Well, it's with great pleasure I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness and life. Yes. All right. Outstanding. Thanks, Myla. Next, we have Corey Wilbanks. Corey, I'm not going to hold your hand as you come down. All right, Corey. So Corey uh, came to faith as a young man uh, uh, in his uh, college years, but he uh, just recently determined it was time to obey God in this area of baptism. 
Corey said uh, when, he was, uh, when he was young, he, he knew about God, knew that there was a God, um, but he said that he really, God was absent and not really a part of his life. He said, if I could accomplish things on my own, God, he believed God would surely be pleased with me. And he said, uh, after all, God's got a lot of things going on, so as long as I'm doing fine, I'm good. But he said, little did I know I wasn't doing fine. On the surface, my life was in order. I was doing well in school, involved in sports in the community. Um, but he said, my life was really a house of cards. Sometime in my early college years, my house of cards came uh, down little by little. All the pillars that I propped up, that propped up the shell of my life were slowly giving away. He said, uh, the older I got, the more I realized just how sinful I am and always have been. He said, these realizations drew me further from God, and due to my shame, I was not resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I was working to somehow fix it on my own. I was tired, stressful, and realistically, uh, I realized it was impossible. I could not right all my wrongs. I could never be what God intended me to be. In the months after that, though, I came to accept Christ as my Savior. No longer was I crushed by the weight of my own sin. I knew that I had been redeemed. My outlook on life was forever changed. Over time, I relinquished my shamefulness through prayer and praise to God. And the more I prayed, the more I prayed still further, uh, resting in Christ. And that step broke me free from a dark path and a dead end. And placing my faith in the Lord... Jesus, resting in his sacrifice, liberated me from my past. No fear in death. Christ has now conquered the grave for me, and I now continue to grow closer to God, glorifying him. Praise God for that testimony, Corey. Awesome. Corey, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe he lived a sinless life and died on the cross was for your sins? Yes. You're putting your trust in him alone for your forgiveness and salvation. Praise God. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness and life. Good stuff, yes. All right, Pastor Adam's now going to come with a pastoral prayer. One thing we want to do uh, with regularity is encourage ourselves and this congregation towards praying. And we want to be praying about things that God is, seems central and, and, and God seems most important, uh, th that's most important to him. Obviously, his glory and, uh, and his kingdom being expanded through the ends of the earth. And so that's going to be the aim of our prayer uh, this morning as we gather together to pray for the kingdom to come. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We thank you, Father, as we come uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray, God, for your kingdom to reign. Uh, as we think through the prayer of Jesus to let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth it is, as it is in heaven, Father, we pray that that would be the sole drive of our hearts. First and foremost, in our own personal lives, God, we must confess that we are a people who are prone to wonder, who are prone to forget you, and who are prone to be and, and want to be kings and queens of our own lives. Um, and so, Father, we just pray, Father, that you would convict us of that. You would drive us with a, a holy desire for your glory and not our own. Father, I'm reminded of what the psalmist said. 
and he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Father, we realize that out of what it means to treasure Christ uh, grows delight and joy. And out of that, Father, you will give us a new heart's desires. Desires that aren't for building up our own kingdom, but for advancing your own. So, Father, with that, I pray that for our church, that we would be a people who treasure Christ and that we would be a people who um, seek your face above everything else. And we would seek uh, just the kingdom expanse, knowing that we are the visible expression of the kingdom right here. The way we love one another, the way we stir up one another to love and good works, the way we encourage one another, um, and the way we point one another to Jesus, the way we uh, tenderly and graciously um, just receive correction. And, uh, and, and even give correction at times, Father. We pray that knowing that the Spirit is the only one that can empower these kinds of things in us to um, make our lives kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused. So, Father, we need that in this faith family. Father, we pray for our community. As the community looks into our faith family, Father, they see the visible expression of your kingdom, that you have come to save sinners, that you have come to, to push back the kingdom of darkness from this world. And that's happening right here in the context of the local church. So, Father, we pray that out of this church, and we think about the, the, the universal church or the, the Catholic church in that sense, um, that we think about as the rest of the world looks into the, the visible expression of the kingdom in the church, Father, that, that they would see uh, that you are making your name great throughout the ends of the earth. And Father, we pray for your continued push into our country, uh, that you would bring about revival, you would bring about an awakening for your kingdom and a desire for your kingdom. And Father, we also pray, Father, ultimately, that your name would be made great and hallowed around all the face of the earth. That we could be a part of that, but also uh, just pray and continue to focus in on those things. Father, as we even think about the sermon we're, we're here, we are going to hear this morning, what does that mean? What does that look like for us, Father? I pray that you would help us to see it. Help us to see and treasure Christ. Help us to... Become like him together as we uh, dive in community with one another. And then ultimately let that love for Christ, that love for one another, that love for um, seeing people come to know you around the world, Father, let those things drive us to share his gospel around the world. Father, to that end, we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, let's stand and continue singing together. alone. 
so much worship team yeah go ahead and have a seat church family uh, so good to see you from a little closer uh, glad you're here today and uh, I've been praying for you this week 
Such a sweet morning uh, for us to see people identify with Christ in baptism. I'm so proud of Myla and uh, Corey and just really so personally encouraged by their testimonies. Just remember sitting uh, with the Benvenutis in my office and to hear uh, Myla so clearly and beautifully articulate uh, the gospel and her hope in it uh, and then to read uh, Corey's again and to see where God has brought him just uh, super encouraging stuff. Hey, just one announcement for you ladies. Um, if you were watching the In the Know video, you saw Jessica's uh, promotion of our C3 coffee, cake, and conversations. And so if you haven't registered for that, you can find out more about that online. But it's going to be just such a sweet time. You know, it's been over a year, yeah, well over a year, I guess, since we've had uh, any sort of big group gatherings with just men or just women. And, and I know whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, um, you know, it gets old not being around other people. And so this is going to be an opportunity uh, to be encouraged, to be encouraged in your faith, to hear a, a great testimony from the scriptures. Um, and I know because of the time that Jessica has put into this with her team, uh, it's just going to be a real uh, soul-nourishing thing. So please mark that on your calendars and uh, plan to participate. Let's pray. We'll continue to worship uh, by way of proclamation uh, from the word. Father, you are the glorious king. Uh, you are the great Lord, the creator, the sustainer, the maker of everything that exists. Lord, you um, are high and lifted up. As you yourself say, your ways are beyond our ways. We can't understand you. How foolish we would be to think that we can figure you out. And yet, you have not left yourself uh, to be a mystery to us. You have revealed yourself to us in creation, in the scriptures, and of course, most beautifully, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would be exalted, that you would cause your name to be made central. As Adam prayed, that you would cause to come your kingdom, cause to be done your will. And we pray that you would just take great pleasure in our worship and you would allow us to delight in you. Move in us and among us by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Colossians 3 this morning. We may uh, hop around a little bit in the book of Colossians. This is week four of our five-week vision series. And, uh, you know, if you've been around us very long, you know what we tend to do is we open up the Bible, we work our way through books of the Bible, kind of one section at a time. It's called expositional preaching, uh, keeping the text in its context and listening to hear what God would say and then leaning in to respond uh, but every once in a while, we, we take a break from a book study, and we look at something that is important in the life of the church. And so we've been looking at where we're headed as a church. What is the vision for our church? Where do we see ourselves? And then what is, in light of that, what is our mission? And so uh, that's where we've been the last uh, couple of weeks, discussing that biblical vision from the scriptures that we believe that God has given us as elders, as we have prayed over this and wrestled and studied and researched and had some great exchanges back and forth. And so uh, this is where uh, we are. I made a statement a few weeks ago that if we don't know where we're headed, if we don't have a clear picture of where we're headed, then what we can do is find out when we get a little bit later on in life that we ended up where we never intended. And I had someone say to me after I said that, came down at the end of the service and said, whether or not you knew it or uh, not, you were, you were talking to me. You were talking about me. 
Like, I, I, I've had no vision for my life, and here I am in the latter stages, and I, I have no idea how I ended up where I ended up. And so we want to make sure that we have a clear vision for ourselves as individuals, so we're not just sort of sputtering around. We want to make sure that we have a clear vision for where we're headed as a church. A vision statement paints a picture of, of where we're going and what it will look like when we get there. And here's the vision statement that we've come up with uh, as elders. This is, the, this is what we long for. This is the end game. Our vision is to see God's kingdom advance through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more about what all that entails, you can go back and, and watch that first uh, sermon in this series. Uh, well, if vision paints a picture of where we're headed then the mission statement describes how we're going to get there. Why do we exist? Why are we here on this earth? What is our purpose for living? How will we pursue the fulfillment of our vision? Here's our mission statement. We exist to treasure Jesus, become like him together, and share his gospel. And in order to communicate that this is an ongoing thing that we're constantly doing and striving toward, we're saying it with active verbs, so it looks like this. Treasuring Jesus, becoming like him together, and sharing his gospel. And so what we've done is over the last couple of weeks, we've taken one of those phrases and we've looked at it individually. So a couple of weeks ago, I looked at what does it mean to treasure Jesus? What are we even talking about when we say that? And then last week, Pastor Adam very skillfully explained to us from the word what it means to become like him, become like Jesus together. And today, we're going to focus on that statement, sharing his gospel, but I want to, make, want to clarify something at the very start. When we talk about sharing his gospel, we're not simply talking about sharing his gospel with unbelievers, not simply with unbelievers. We're talking about sharing the gospel in a way that actually begins at home, begins as a church among God's people. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, let me begin by reading verses 16 through 18. Here reads the word of the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if we had time to look at the, more of this context, if we've been spending our time in Colossians, we would see that uh, this is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this little church at Colossae. And uh, this emphasis that Paul has uh, employed throughout this book has been on our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. In fact, perhaps the greatest emphasis of the book concerns this idea that being a Christian means actually living out who we already are in Christ. So it's not becoming something else. It's actually living in light of who God has made us to be in Christ. And so, Paul will explain in a previous chapter, uh, that means putting off those things which belong to the flesh, those earthly things, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful passion, anger, idolatry, idolatry, and then putting on, in place of those things, the attributes that correspond to the new man, the new person. Things like compassion, humility, patience, love, kindness, and forgiveness. But in real life, we know how difficult it can be to actually do those things, to be patient with some people, right? to love very difficult people, 
to uh, forgive those who have wronged us, to avoid sexual temptation and immorality, to bear with people's idiosyncrasies and so on. It's hard to put other people and their interests above our own. It's hard for me. There are many good things that I want to do that I think about doing. I've got some even now on my to-do list that I want to do to encourage people. I haven't gotten around to them yet. The things that we want to do, we don't do, as Paul says. The things that we really don't want to do, we end up doing. The Christian life is a constant spiritual struggle. And simply trying harder won't cut it either. And you know this, if there's an area in your life maybe where you just keep falling back into the same sin pattern, the same temptation, uh, you know that simply trying harder to not respond to your wife or children in anger, to not lust, uh, trying harder not to make that sarcastic comment or to do things that are self-centered, simply trying harder not to sin never works for the long haul. It is an empty set. The sad reality is there are all kinds of commands in the Scripture, and those commands, while beautiful, they reveal to us the heart of God. They tell us what we are supposed to do, but they don't give us the power to do them. The power to obey God's commands, His imperatives, what God calls us to do, in any sustained way comes only from being motivated by, empowered by, what God has already done for us in Christ, what we call the indicatives. This is why in the middle of this long list of commands, Paul says, no, put off all of these things and instead put on all of these things. They're all couched in the context of what God has already done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there are plenty of references in the Bible to the Word of God. We see this a lot, but there are much fewer references to the Word of Christ. And what Paul's talking about here is the gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That phrase, word of Christ, is a synonym, so to speak, of the gospel. And Paul says, let it, let the gospel dwell in you richly. Let it take permanent residence among you. That word richly suggests that our commitment to the gospel can't be sort of a passing phase. It can't be a superficial thing, something that we ever get over or get beyond. But in fact, it, it permeates everything we do, every ministry, every leadership decision, every family decision, every new initiative, every counseling session, even our budget. There's a recurring theme throughout the New Testament, and it's this. Christians need the gospel. Christians need the gospel. And when I was, when I was new in ministry, a new believer, I didn't get that. I thought the gospel was for unbelievers. That's how unbelievers get saved, how they're reconciled to God. And certainly it is that. It absolutely is that, but it's also for the believer. This is why we see Paul spending most of his time in the New Testament letters writing and re-emphasizing the centrality of the gospel for believers. He does it in 1 Corinthians, he does it in Galatians, he does it in 1 Thessalonians, and he does it here in Colossians. Look at Colossians 1. We thank God because the gospel has come to you. As indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you. Present tense. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul is writing to Christians and he says, yeah, you still need the gospel. And in fact, he says, I'm so thankful because I'm seeing the gospel growing in you. And I'm seeing the gospel cause fruit to bear in you. And I'm seeing the gospel actually continue to transform you into 
the image of Christ. In other words, as the gospel dwells in you more and more, it is bearing more fruit in you, enabling you to be more patient, enabling you to love God more, to love neighbor more, enabling you to put off sin, enabling you to be generous, and putting off anxiety and fear and so on. So here's the first point I want to make this morning as we think about sharing the gospel. Every week, and in various ways, the good news must be delivered. Not just for non-Christians, but first for Christians. Now, why do I say first for Christians? You say, well, haven't you got that sort of turned around? Well, if we're going to have any hope of sharing the gospel with others, which we saw a couple of weeks ago, can divide families, you know. We, see, we saw that it divides father and son, mother and daughter, mother and daughter-in-law. If we're going to have any hope of sharing the gospel, this divisive message, then we must first be fully resting in it ourselves. We must believe it and have our hope in it and love the gospel if we're actually going to go about making uh, disciples. You know when you're, uh, you, you first sit down on a plane and you're, before you take off, one of the flight attendants comes and they say, okay, I need your attention for a very special announcement. Nobody ever pays attention, but they say that. Um, and if you are, I guess if you're kind of a rule follower, if you're more of the compliant kind, you, you, of stop, you stop what you're doing and put your stuff and you make eye contact. My sister, who never wants anybody to feel like their feelings are hurt, you know, she's the type who folds everything up and makes eye contact, nods affirmingly, tapping the people around her. You're not going to want to miss this presentation. Um, but if you, if you do listen to that, if you're on a flight and you listen to that, then what you will hear eventually is the flight attendants say, in the event of a loss of cabin pressure, what happens? Masks will descend from the ceiling. And then you're told, if you have young children around you, put your mask on first and then attend to your children. And, you know, we hear that and we say, no, I would never do that. Like, I would never put myself ahead of my children. I would never look out for myself uh, before I would take care of my children. I would die for my children. Well, the point that is being made there is, unless you put the mask on yourself, you're not going to be around to take care of your children. It's important you put the mask on so you can look after your children. Well, in the, the gospel's kind of like that in that only when we realize that in Christ we are totally forgiven of every sin are we then able to go and tell others about this forgiveness that is available to them. Only when we realize that in Christ we are fully accepted by God because of His death on the cross for our sin, paying the penalty for our rebellion, only when we recognize that can we tell anybody else with any confidence that they can be accepted by God in Christ. Only when we understand that there is no condemnation against us, we will never ever be condemned by God because of Jesus. Can we tell people, regardless of what they've done, you can experience God's approval and know for sure you'll never ever be condemned. The gospel is not news that if I do something good, I can be accepted by God or loved by God. That's actually bad news, frankly, because we're never going to be able to do enough good so that God would approve of us. The gospel is good news that because of Jesus, His life for me, His death for me, His resurrection for me, I am declared righteous by God by faith in His Son. And because of Jesus, I am forever loved by God even when I fail. But this is so counterintuitive. You know, everything in our lives is about earning. You know, if you play sports, you got to pay your dues. you got to spend time on the bench, you know. You're new in a corporation, you've got to work your way up the ranks. Whatever it is, 
we just have this earning. Everything is about earning, and it, it just goes to the very heart of the human condition. And so we have to hear the gospel over and over again. There are so many areas in our lives, and there will continue to be, where the gospel has not yet made sufficient inroads. There are areas in your life this morning where the gospel has not really made inroads. It's not really made a dent yet. And the same is true for me. There are areas in my, I don't want to think about those areas. I don't want to, I don't want to focus. I don't want to do the hard work of trying to, but, but there are areas in my life where the gospel has barely done its work. It's only started to do work. And these areas, again, are, are hard to think about or consider. But this is why we continue to struggle with fear and anxiety. Because the, there are areas that the gospel has not yet done its work. Feelings of shame and guilt. Unchecked anger. This is a gospel issue. It's why we're more concerned about injustice committed against ourselves than we are about injustice committed against others. It's why a critical word can leave us undone. You ever had someone say something harsh to you and you just realize, like, that's all I've been thinking about the rest of the day or the rest of the week. Janine and I were walking around Bridge Street on Friday night. We were preparing to meet some friends for dinner. And uh, we, we were walking in the, you know, outside. And this one older gentleman kind of approached us, walked up to us, and he said, Oh, I always love to see a dad hanging out with his daughter. I was out with my wife, not my daughter. And then I sort of looked at him, and then he had a few more, you know, what he thought were funny things to say. And then I thought about that over dinner. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the people were with it. Why is he sort of glossing over? I was, still, I was thinking about that insult. If you, if you, this is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue where a certain insult or critical thing can actually cause us to start to wonder and it's why we find ourselves constantly comparing ourselves to others, especially morally. Well, I'm not as bad as she is, but thankfully I'm a lot better than her. These are gospel issues. The gospel has work to do in our lives, even still. And it always will until we are glorified and with Christ. But the good news is, it is working. God is applying the gospel to our hearts. In fact, he says, Paul tells us in Romans 5 that God is pouring out the love of God in our hearts. How? By taking us back to God's justifying work in Christ. So the gospel is doing its work. And here, Paul says in the section I just read, that by teaching and admonishing and singing, these are the means by which the gospel dwells in us richly as a community and as individuals. So we get the gospel down deep. We allow the gospel to, be, to take up residence in us as we teach. That is, it's a word just just refers to the skillful explanation of God's word. As we admonish one another, it's kind of an old school word that just means to warn, as we warn one another. And even as we sing to one another, which doesn't mean you go up to somebody and you just kind of burst into song in front of them. What it means is that the gospel is clarified and reinforced in our lives as we hear one another sing the beautiful and powerful words of the gospel. My son, who's a seminary student in Southern California, where things are, the restrictions are a lot stronger there, higher. And so he said they, they're still, they're gathering together, but they're doing outside in a big tent. And I asked him the other day on FaceTime, I said, hey, how are you doing? And they're doing well. And I said, 
how are things going, you know, for your church community? He goes, well, he said, we can't really get close to each other. He said, you know what I really miss? I really miss hearing the church sing. We're so spread out. It's outdoors. It's windy. You've know, got the Santa Ana winds. We can't really hear anything. He said, I really miss hearing God's people sing. It's all for God's glory, but it's also for the good of one another. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, that online worship, while it's a great thing, um, is not sustainable in terms of a biblical uh, position. Because we can't hear each other worship, we can't encourage each other, we can't stir one another on. We are called to gather together and encourage one another. When you, when you come together, when we gather together on Sunday and you go up to someone and you say a kind word to them, you encourage them, when, when you tell someone that you're praying for them, when, when you tell someone that you've really missed them, you, know, you really miss seeing them, you want to, you're actually fulfilling God's design. You are encouraging one another, edifying and building one another up. When you serve in a small group, when you take the time to teach at a kid's Sunday school class, uh, when, even when you make comments in a small group, if you're not the teacher, but you're asking questions and you're, you're making comments, you are helping to edify your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you sing praises to God, so I walked back in, down the stairs, around there after coming out of the baptistry, and I walked in and I heard people sing together. It is a nourishing thing. When you sing praises to God, you're not only worshiping your king, but also edifying one another. You know, sometimes people say, I've heard people say, when I come to church, when I gather with God's people, I just want to worship God. I don't want any distractions. It's just me and God. But that's actually not a biblical position. Yes, we come to worship. Um, but there are more passages and instructions in the New Testament about what we are to do to one another and with one another when we're together than there are about worshiping God. Which I'm not at all, I'm not denigrating, I'm not downplaying the, the importance of worship. Next week, we'll talk about, we'll kind of wrap this up by talking about the centrality. What's, what's the whole purpose? Of, what's the goal of us to worship God? But we come together, we are to encourage one another. In fact, I just talked to a brand new family after the first service. And uh, Pastor Chris and I went up, introduced ourselves, talked to them for a few minutes. And they said, we've been to 10 churches. They moved here from, I forget, oh, they said North Carolina. We've been to 10 churches. This is the first church we've been to where anyone has approached us and said hello. I mean, that's, that's a problem, isn't it? I think that's a problem. I think we should be looking to encourage, looking for new people that we can find, that we can encourage and get to know and build up. So before we started this series, this vision series, we we're in the book of Acts, and we saw that the, the church has two essential rhythms, rhythms it's had now and rhythms it's had, had then. Here's what they are. The church is committed to gathering and scattering. These are the rhythms of the church, the first century church and the church today. Edification and extension. This is how we make and mature disciples of Jesus. Edification involves gathering together in Christ's name as a community, as a redeemed group of people, building one another up, praying for one another, teaching, instructing, admonishing, singing, all of those things together, and then scattering, going out with the good news of the gospel. More on that in a minute. So look over a, a column over to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ 
on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer each person. So Paul is longing for these opportunities. Of course, he's in prison, so he can't do this. He wants to get out, and he wants to circulate and tell people about Jesus. So he says, pray for me that I'll have opportunities. And when I do have opportunities, that I'll know what to say. That right now I am in prison for the gospel. And it's interesting, five times in this section, you don't see it entirely in the English language, but Paul uses a, a first-person pronoun. Pray for me so that I can go, so that I will have the words to speak. Because right now I am in prison for the sake of the gospel. But then, like any good preacher does, he starts with himself and he goes, and he, he sort of deftly moves the focus to them. He says in verse 5, you walk in wisdom, use implied, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most use, or the best use of your time. In other words, he's saying, okay, I'm in prison, I can't go, pray for me that I'll be able to go, but as for you, go out and make the best use of your time. He says, walk in wisdom with outsiders, which means make sure what you're doing, your actions, actually matches with your message. Because what is the message? A message of hope and forgiveness and love, a message of reconciliation. So he's saying your, your, your actions should match that. But then he says, it's not just enough to live a certain way. We also have to speak. We have to tell the gospel. The gospel de demands articulation. It must be spoken. The answer that we're eager to offer is why we have hope why we have confidence in the future, what Jesus Christ has done for us, what the redeemed, what the risen Christ rather has done for us. Our answer that we're eager to give is the good news of the gospel. So here's our second point this morning. Every Christ follower has an individual responsibility to tell others about Jesus in a winsome way, leaving the results to God. So what Paul is doing here in the most subtle way, he's, he's issuing an imperative. He's saying gospel conversations are your responsibility as well. Salty speech, he says, is your obligation as well. And I love this idea of gracious speech being seasoned with salt. You ever heard anyone explain what, that's, what salt means? It seems like every time I've heard it explained, they say, well, you know, salt burns and salt stings. And so our words are, are meant to sting. Well, I mean... That may be true sometimes when we're admonishing others, but that's not what Paul's talking about. What's the, what's the main purpose of salt? It's flavor, isn't it? It's flavor. And so what Paul is saying is, let your speech be flavorful. Let it be winsome. Let it be engaging. Let it be pleasant. One Old Testament commentator says, here's an interesting injunction. It is all too true that Christianity in the minds of many is connected with a kind of sanctimonious dullness and an outlook in which laughter is almost heresy. The Christian must commend his message with the charm and the wit which were in Jesus himself. In other words, boring, sullen, sad Christians who never laugh are actually the worst kind of gospel witness. They're no gospel witness at all. Instead, our words should be loving and winsome and pleasant 
laughing. I mean, we, don't, we laugh at the right things and don't laugh at the wrong things. We laugh, we enjoy one another, there's a pleasantness about us. Now, sometimes, of course, gospel conversations will be uh, uncomfortable. Sometimes they will be dread-inducing because, because people will reject the exclusive claims of Christ. But it should not be our presentation that offends people. It should be only the gospel itself. And we saw last week again, the gospel will divide. And some of you in this room have stories about how when you put your faith in Christ, there was all of a sudden a sort of awkwardness between you and the rest of your family. Or maybe your family said, as, as I, I know with countless people, you know what, I, I don't come around here anymore, I'm done with you. So sometimes the gospel will divide and offend, but the offensiveness must be because of the message, not because of our approach. We gather as God's people to edify and to build one another up as a church, and then we extend to take the good news to people who are lost and without Christ. And, and here's what's fascinating. You know, we spent, I don't know, eight or nine weeks in Acts, but as we get into it, we're going to see there are 50 different words, 50, that describe the activities of the earliest evangelist. 50 different ways. So what it tells you is, this is not some sort of cookie-cutter, canned approach. It requires a different approach for different people. I'll give you, let me just give you a, a short list of those. Announce is a word we see in the, in the book of Acts. Persuade, declare, refute, discuss, explain, confound. You know what confound is? It means you're saying something to someone and they're like, like how, I, I don't get that. How does that make sense? Answer, warn discuss, appeal, demonstrate, converse, proclaim. This, these are just 14 of the 50 ways that we're called to go out and actually be involved in sharing Christ with people. So what it means is it requires wisdom. This is why Paul asked for prayer. It requires EQ, emotional intelligence. It requires a, a broad awareness. Different people will, will require different approaches. I was sharing the gospel with a guy last week, or actually the week before, and over lunch, and Hadn't seen him in a few months, not a believer, not part of our church, not part of any church. And so I was thinking on the way there, thinking, how am I going to, I'm just praying that God would give an opportunity. So he asked me about my family, and he, he knows I have two college students who are doing their studies remotely, you know, virtually. And he said, how are, your, how are your kids doing, and how are they doing with this online learning? I know it's such a challenge for people. And so we talked about that, and we talked about the NFL, upcoming NFL draft, and sports, and different things, and then... Then I asked him how he was doing, how his family was doing. He said, yeah, we're doing okay. And I said, how are you doing spiritually? Now, I knew that this was not a question. He wasn't doing well spiritually. I knew that he had no idea how to answer this. So he's kind of moving things around the table very awkwardly, trying to think about what to say. And he goes, you know, I'm just trying to, my best to be as good as I can be, a good, as good of a person as I can be. And I said to him, okay, I, know, I really appreciate that. I said, what, but how do you know, what's the standard for good? How do you know if it's good enough? And so from there, we were able to talk about the gospel, and he didn't pray a prayer, he didn't break down and receive Christ, but he did say, I said, hey, would you be willing to read something if I send it to you? He said, sure, I'll read it. And the conversation got started, and I'm certainly not holding myself out here as the, uh, as the standard, because there's so many times when, you know, God puts an opportunity right in my face. The opportunity is there, and I just blow it. I fail to, to share the gospel, I fail to answer a question well, but I think we have to approach each person differently in a way that is winsome, in a way that, that connects with them, in a way that, 
that is uh, aware of their own sort of personality. So I want you to think for a second, in, in Baptist circles, we say, we ask the question, who's your one? So who's the one you're praying for? Who's the one you're thinking about? Who's the one, the unbeliever, maybe in your family or maybe part of your friend group or neighbor, that you're praying that God would bring to saving faith? Hopefully you have one, at least one person you're praying for. Now think about that person. How would you describe his or her personality? Analytical or maybe more emotional? Um, is this a person who is, is maybe more of the more serious inclination, a very serious person, a very deep, thoughtful person? Maybe this is a person who, uh, who likes to kind of keep things on the surface. And How will you go about introducing Christ to them? What will you take into consideration as you think about their personality type? Is it someone who is reserved or someone who is outgoing? Is it someone who needs time to process or someone who's more of a verbal processor? How will you take the time to share Christ with them? As leaders at Capshaw, we're, we're thinking about and we've been wrestling with considering ways that we can help equip the church to be about making disciples, to share our faith. Now, more on that uh, later, but I want to finish this up. So Paul has already told the church at Colossae in chapter 1 the extent to which he desires the gospel to go to the whole world. He wants to see the gospel go out to the whole world so that every person gets to hear about Jesus and God's forgiveness in Christ. But he's not just interested in individuals coming to faith, although he's very interested. And in fact, that keeps him up at night. Paul wants to see villages come to faith. He wants to see families trusting in Christ. He wants to see people of every tribe, tongue, and nation come to faith in Jesus. And he wants to see, as revivals take place, churches planted where those same believers can find a spiritual home, a spiritual family, folks that can walk alongside of them in this faith journey. As we're going to see in Acts when we jump back into it, Paul would spend his life as a traveling missionary, sharing his faith and planting churches. And this is exactly what Jesus had in mind with the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a call, not just for individuals to share their faith, but for churches to plant other churches. So here's our final point this morning. The whole world is the goal. Faithful, gospel-centered churches in every culture and in every corner of creation. The reason we included in our mission statement the phrase sharing his gospel is because everybody who truly treasures Jesus actually is becoming like him together through the power of the Holy Spirit and actually longs to tell others about what they've received in Christ. Now, of course, it's hard. And there are times, as I said, when God has put an opportunity right in my face and I have neglected to take advantage of it, I've blown it. But for those who have been forgiven, there's a desire to tell others about this forgiveness we've received. For those who have been loved in this way by the creator of the universe, there's a desire to share that with others. But it's not just about, again, individuals coming to faith. It's about churches being planted where believers who come to faith can go and become part of a faith family, a spiritual family. Making disciples is a never-ending task for the church, for every believer. It's not just teaching about Jesus, but teaching and leading people to become lifelong, faithful, and growing followers of Jesus who are immersed in, baptized into a church. And this takes a whole church, doesn't it? It takes a community. Again, the Great Commission is a 
is a call to make disciples, but it's also a call to plant churches. This is something, frankly, I didn't realize for the longest time. I thought it was simply about individual believers sharing their faith with individual believers until I realized that what Jesus actually launched was this multiplying movement where churches would spawn churches and individuals would share their faith and then those new believers would have new faith communities in which to belong. What Jesus had in mind when he uttered the Great Commission was the planting of churches where believers would come to faith, they would grow in their faith, they would become like Christ together and then be sent again. So what does this mean for us practically? Well, it means that we're going to be about, as part of, treasuring Jesus, becoming like Him together, and sharing His faith. We're going to be about equipping people to share their faith with other people, to share Jesus. And we're going to be about, as leaders, sharing our faith with other people. And we're going to be about planting churches. We're going to be about planting churches. We have no desire, and this may, may shock some of you, we have no desire at all at the leadership level to build any new buildings, to expand an auditorium, to grow this to become a megachurch. No. What we want to do is grow and send. Grow and send. We have no plans to build any new buildings. Now, we do want to take better care of the buildings we have. If you've got a 6th grader, 7th grader, or 8th grader, you know we have some buildings that are uh, fairly well dilapidated. Um, so we do want to do a better job of taking care of the, what we have, and we're going to do that. But we want, to, we want to grow. We want to see people come to faith, and we want to send people out. This is what we did eight years in Southern California. We planted two churches in the United States, one in California, and then we partnered with a Botswanan to plant a church in Haberone, Botswana, the capital city of Botswana, just north of South Africa, because we were people of every race, ethnicity, cultural background, every language, um, every socioeconomic group, group to be introduced to this Jesus Christ and become worshipers of Him. So what that means is we may find out that we have a bunch of people a couple years from now who are driving to harvest from Athens, and so rather than try to make room for them, we're going to plant a church in Athens. Or maybe we find out we have a group of people who are coming, driving here from South Huntsville, and we say, no, we don't need to expand our buildings. We need to plant a church in South Huntsville. And we're going to partner with Indians to plant churches in India. We're going to partner with Nepali folks to plant churches in Nepal. We're going to partner with Germans to plant churches in Germany. This is the vision that God has given us, and we believe it flows right from the Great Commission. We want to see people from all over come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and worship Him in their own tribe, tongue, and language and become part of a faith family where they can do life together. So we're going to partner with people. We're going to pray about it. We're going to plant churches. Of course, this, we, we, we understand. You know, I'm saying we're going to do these things, but this is all we recognize. We're dependent on God's sovereignty, and we're, we need to desperately uh, continue to come to Him in prayer. But we want to go to God prayerfully and consistently in the power of the Spirit, saying, God, how will you help us? How will you enable us? so that we can treasure Jesus, become like him together, and share his gospel. May God give us the grace and the strength to do what he's called us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a sweet morning it's been to see evidence of your power and your faithfulness. We're all over the map, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. 
sky high one day and down in the doldrums the next. We make these bold commitments to you that we fail to, to follow through on. I make these commitments to do this or to do that, and the next thing I know, I've let it slip. Father, forgive us of our inconsistency. Forgive us of our faithlessness. Father, help us to continue to rest in the finished work of Christ, the beautiful, real, historic act which reveals to us your faithfulness, your love, where your love and mercy meet, when your kindness and justice meet. Father, restore our hearts, strengthen us. Help us now as we cling to the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.
Amen. Church, you can be seated. Acts 29 is a global network of over 700 churches worshiping in 50 countries with nearly 30 languages. And we are committed to planting healthy, multiplying churches in every corner of the world. God is a global God and that he works through different ethnicities and cultures and languages around the world. Being faithful to God's great commission is to make disciples and to plant churches. Churches characterized by theological clarity, cultural engagement, and missional innovation. We believe that uh, the church is God's primary mission strategy for establishing his kingdom and his presence on earth. We want to reach people with the gospel and our reach is amplified through Acts 29 as a network. So more people will know and worship him. Each one of our members has been blessed by all the training that we have received as planters. We want our church to be a praying church and also a church that disciples others. This is what we do and this is who we are. We are people who plant churches. accomplishes its mission uh, primarily through three things. By assessing potential church planters. We provide continued assistance for churches and leaders through coaching, trainings, and also relational connection. We get to collaborate with the whole bride of Christ to plant churches, not only just in our areas, but we partner globally to plant churches. And as we partner together with Acts 29, with churches around the world, our efforts are multiplied and the God is glorified when we work together as a church. This is Acts 29. 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 So I uh, mentioned this idea of church planting, and I know some of you are linear thinker, thinkers, and you're already thinking, okay, when's this going to happen? How's it going to take place? You know, th this is down the road as we continue to think about and pray, but we also realize that we don't have all the knowledge and the resources and, and, and connections to be, to be excellent at church planting, and so we're sort of locking arms with Acts 29. It's a network of church planting uh, churches. It's not a denomination. Uh, it's not, we're not changing our denomination or anything like that. This is just a network of churches that come together to help one another, part, partner with them to plant churches uh, in the United States and all around the world. And so you'll hear more about that in the up, upcoming uh, weeks and months. And um, again, we're just thinking and praying about what God is going to stir in our hearts to do by way of planting. And uh, when we respond to the message of the word, we do so by giving. And when you give, you can do that in a variety of ways. Uh, you are partnering with and supporting ministries in the United States, ministries here in this city, ministries all around the world. So deeply uh, encouraged by that. And uh, just be thinking about in terms of your own involvement, how, how does God desire to use me on mission? Let me send you out with a benediction from the Apostle Paul uh, in the book of Ephesians. He says this, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Have a great afternoon. You're dismissed.